Welcome to Stuff Mom Never Told You from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Caroline. And I'm Kristen. And welcome to part two of our year in review. The year has been so chock full of fabulous things and stuff that it's actually taking two episodes to review it, but we do have a special surprise for this particular episode. That's right, Caroline. We have not one, but two special guests in the studio today. Returning guests, I should say, to Stuff Mom Never Told You. And actually, I think these are our first returning guests. Yeah. They're like series regulars now. And, and they're high-fiving. Yeah, let's just like not introduce them. Right, no. Let's keep talking about them. I love this mystery. <laughs> but we are being joined by two of our fantastic, hilarious, smart co-workers here at How Stuff Works. Ladies, will you introduce yourselves, please? Hi, I am Raquel Willis. I am a digital publisher, and I am so glad to be back. This is amazing. Raquel, we're so happy to have you back. I'm glad that I get to be in the studio with Raquel for the first time ever. Hi. Uh, So I'm Holly Fry. I'm the uh, co-host on Stuff You Missed in History Class and an editor here. And I promise that none of the stuff I have to talk about today involves underpants. (laughs) Well, you can just leave. (laughs) No, well, we're so excited to have have Raquel and Holly on because the thing is, there's just no way, as much work as Kristen and I do and as much research as we do throughout the year, there's no way we can possibly cover everything. There's so much fabulous information out there specific to ladies that has happened over 2015 and we haven't possibly been able to cover all of it, which is why we wanted to get some additional perspectives in here. So what we're going to do for this year in review slash lady friend party is go around the podcast studio table and talk about our high points and low points for women and pop culture and all the things that just caught our attention throughout the year and talk about it and just kind of see what we were all thinking about and tweeting about and screaming about yeah sometimes in our sleep we're so on the same wavelength all right well uh, Raquel do you want to get us started sure so much pressure Um, you're right so I have a few Um, definitely and this is probably the most recent um, but Serena being on uh, Sports Illustrated as Mm -hmm. the sports person of the year like that was amazing I think she's the first woman in over a decade at least and by herself the first woman since like the 80s I think so that was really amazing when um, of course Caitlyn Jenner's Vanity Fair cover I have a lot of thoughts about that conflicting thoughts um, as a trans woman Viola Davis won Best Actress in a Drama um, Emmy this year so that was a really amazing win her speech was so amazing and it was so cute that her daughter dressed up for her as Halloween and held her little Emmy. I don't know if this is a highlight or a low light, but definitely <laughs> Nicki Minaj's Miley What's Good was definitely a moment um, in lady pop culture this year. Um, and the whole conversation of... Uh, all of, I, I guess, really just women in the music industry and the, um, just kind of having that dialogue about intersections of identities. That was a good conversation. I don't quite agree with how it happened, um, but it happened. The Hillary Clinton, Lena Dunham interview. 
I thought was interesting. Did you guys see that? I did not see that. Yeah, I haven't seen it. I haven't seen it either. God, what is wrong with us? We're the oh. most underinformed humans. Raquel's bringing the heat, and we're just like, I don't know what you're Cool. <laughs> I live on social media, so it's just like, this is my life. Um, well, they had like a, sh- a short interview um, probably like two months ago, so you didn't miss it by like much. Well, you know, there was part of me that was thinking, because... I, I can appreciate Lena Dunham and I'm a fan of Hillary Clinton. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there was a part of me that was like, I, I literally dismissed it with the thought in my brain of it's probably just going to be real softball. I mean, it's probably going to be like gal pal, buddy, buddy, which is what we're doing right now in this room. But I was like, well, I, I, I just thought I would go back and watch it later. I would rather be more informed about like newsier interviews. And then I just never watched it. So what's my problem? I don't know. <laughs> So, Raquel, what impressed you about the interview? I think for me, like, I get that Hillary Clinton is a feminist. Like, I get that she falls into mainstream um, feminist politics. For me, I I really want to see her talk to feminists that may not look necessarily like her or come from kind of similar background. Um, Particularly as a black woman, that's always, like, a conversation that we have in our community is, like, should we vote for her because she's a woman or, you know, does she talk enough about intersectionality and race and stuff like that? So it was cute. I mean, I, I it, it showed like a human side to Hillary that we don't always get to see because she has to be like, you know, this politician and and um, be on her P's and Q's. So. so I have a podcast recommendation for you, though. Where she is talking to women who do not look like her and that isn't just softballs um, for fans of BuzzFeed's Another Round. Heaven and Tracy interview Hillary Clinton in the episode, Madam Secretary, What's Good? It's episode number 28. And I highly recommend everybody listen to it because they do, you know, get into jokier, lighthearted questions. But for a while, they really hold her accountable to issues around Black Lives Matter, a legislation that Bill Clinton passed during his administration and how that impacted black communities. And I was really impressed with the whole thing. To me, it was like one of the best conversations that she's had. And she actually came across as not just minding her P's and Q's and following Mm -hmm. a script and talking points. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, and I definitely listened to that. Um, yeah, that was an awesome moment. Thank you for bringing that up. Yeah. I kind of just want to go back to the Caitlyn Jenner Vanity Fair yeah. cover. Because that was, like, huge. I think when I first saw it, I think I actually was on the way to the office because um, it dropped, like, in the morning. And a little bit of me on the inside was, um, like, kind of like, yes, like, this is awesome. Like, representation, visibility, you know. And also, I kind of felt for her being in the spotlight and people putting an identity on her before she was really ready to, like, say anything. Mm-hmm. So I really felt for her for being thrust into the spotlight. But, I mean, I, I definitely think her kind of taking on uh, this role as a spokesperson for the trans community, um, and I guess just a spokesperson in general, has been very problematic <laughs> over the past few months of the we've seen. Yeah. Um, well, the most recent stuff, a lot of people are unhappy with how she was phrasing some things. Yeah, can you talk a little bit more about what what you mean by problematic? 
Well, I guess to start, um, ha- being an activist and actually doing like trans advocacy work, it- it's been a little difficult to to completely see it for her because she hasn't really been connected to the community, right? Like she really wasn't really connected to the community until after she came out and and said that she was trans um, to the world. Um, and, and in a lot of ways, I think it didn't necessarily erase, but it kind of uh, spoke over a lot of the work that had been done by a lot of people who have been in the media, um, specifically people like, of course, Laverne Cox and Janet Mock and, and others, people who actually, like, have made it their mission to infuse their identity into their work and be very open and authentic. Um, I think that that's something she wants to do, but I think it takes more than just saying you're a spokesperson. Like it, it's hard work to be a public speaker on trans issues. Like you have to do research, you have to read, you have to be in community with other people and, and have these hard discussions, you know, before you, you know, just take it upon yourself. Um, but the other thing, though, too, is I think I don't want to put this on her, but a lot of times it feels like because of where she is in her transition um, that she has a lot of essentialist ideas about gender. Um, and I get the part of her being a media figure, but when it comes to basing your womanhood or at least talking about your womanhood purely from an aesthetic standpoint mm-hmm. or purely from um, this kind of I have to be hyper feminine because that's the only way I can be respected is somewhat damaging to the community that has a growing population of non-binary and genderqueer individuals who don't necessarily fall within the gender binary of uh, woman or man strictly. Um, so I think that's one of the one of my major critiques. Well, yeah, in the interview, this was with Time magazine, right? Early mm-hmm. December. Uh, she says, what I call my presentation, I try to take that seriously. I think it puts people at ease. If you look like a man in a dress, it makes people uncomfortable. And it was those words in particular that people were like, are you are you kidding? Like you haven't been a part of this community visibly or supporting this community and you're just going to come out and say things like this that are so focused on appearance and in a letter an open letter to Caitlyn Jenner Bryn Tannehill who's Sparta's director of advocacy said you're coming to accept yourself that's cool but before you can be a spokesperson for the community you need to learn to accept and empathize with the community at large unfortunately the path you are traveling will make learning that empathy and gaining that cultural knowledge so much harder and lengthier which is why, with all the love and respect I have for you as a sister, I believe you should take a step backwards or at least sideways. What you're doing doesn't seem to be working. And Caitlyn Jenner did come out and release a statement being like, oh, uh, yeah, I do have a little bit to learn. Well, and I, I mean, is there any conflict as well over the fact that her politics are very conservative, too? Not that you can't be a transgender Republican, but it does seem like some of her... Some of it is at odds in terms of her, what her platforms. Definitely, and I actually, I I tweeted about this um, probably last week. Um, I'm like addicted to Twitter now for some reason, but the tweet was saying that you know it, 
it's almost impossible for you to be a spokesperson for a community if you don't even identify with them politically. And when I say politically, like, I mean in terms of uh, LGBTQ issues, right? Like, you can't... Because she, in a lot of ways, says that she's a spokesperson for the entire LGBTQ community. Like, oftentimes she doesn't even necessarily, like, specify just the trans community. But I think... Moments like on Ellen when she was talking about gay marriage or same-sex marriage and saying how she didn't really, like, agree with it and, and really backpedaled a lot around it. It was very difficult because we are still having so many conversations within the LGBTQ community about whether trans people should even be included, right? Or, mm-hmm. And people have had, like, the Drop the T campaign on Change.org and all of these different kind of conversations. So it's really opening a lot of wounds and a lot of conversations that we need to have, but in a very kind of haphazard, just deal with it kind of way. Well, it it strikes me, one, I think there's a weird double-edged sword at play, right, in terms of her visibility, both before and after she came out as a trans woman, that, one, she's in a universe that is very aesthetics driven. So there's this weird layer to the onion of like, of course she would say that she's been conditioned in the, you know, community that she's been in and, you know, reality television, et cetera. Like, but then there's this other thing where because she has this fame, there's like a double play there where people are sort of like, of course you're going to be an advocate. You're so visible and this is your... But I feel like somebody skipped the media training portion for her, where I'm like, you could be. This is a really great opportunity. And you could say, like, I am new and I am learning and you can learn with me. Yeah. But instead, there's a lot of, like, weird bombs coming out where you're like, wait, oh, please. No. Sh- oh, sh- please um, be quiet. Just turn- somebody tell her something. Like- <laughs> not just the media training, but also maybe the history lesson, too. Like, yes. there's a, it, seem, it feels like from the outside, there's a little bit of missing context going into yes. some of these conversations. And I think it's very difficult for the public to tease apart that nuance, right? Mm-hmm. Um, because people see her narrative as, a, in a lot of ways, as that singular trans narrative now. Yeah. Um, just because she has the loudest voice, she has the, lo- the biggest platform. And it, I think it, it's even more damaging because people can't tease out that just because you're trans, that doesn't mean that you're superficial. And that has been a trope for mm-hmm. the longest time is that trans women in particular base their womanhood based off of how they look and how much they can quote unquote pass or have passing privilege or, or what they wear and what they play with as a kid. And, and the truth is, is a lot of trans women don't. For a lot of trans women, they don't even have access to those things because of the barriers economically and socially. Mm-hmm. A lot of trans women will never be able to afford hormones, will never be able to afford the surgeries that they may or may not want. Um, and it's just, it's really sad that how this uh, media moment has perpetuated a lot of those stereotypes. So do you think overall that 2015 was a good year for trans issues or kind of not so much? That's a very difficult question. <laughs> I, I, mm, it's I kind think, of a mixed bag. Yeah. 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 <laughs> it's hard to put like an either or on that. Right. Like at least now, like 
I can be like, hey, I'm transgender, and people will be will kind of know. Like it's it's not like nine out of ten people being like, what does that mean? Are you like a mechanic or something, like, <laughs> or or something weird? Um, like now, I think at least like four out of ten people know. <laughs> but so I I think it's it has been a mixed bag. I think visibility is at an increase. Um, and but also with that that hyper visibility, there's been a lot of violence that we are seeing. I don't necessarily know if there's been more violence. People have been saying that, but I think it's hard to say that because now that we're actually covering the violence, right. that it will probably seem like there's more violence. But really, there's been a lot of violence the mm-hmm. whole entire way. People just didn't know that it was because people were trans. Right. So yeah, yeah. Okay, so uh, my first one, it's going to sound like I'm plugging our show. I'm not. It's just super exciting to me. Um, so the United States Chief Technology Officer, Megan Smith, uh, earlier this year, she and her team sort of put together this really cool initiative based on the fact that she is also a history buff. And one of the first things she did when she got into her position was to go to the National Archives and say that she wanted to see the Declaration of Sentiments, which is the first women's rights document ever drafted at Seneca Falls in 1848. And the archivist was like, I can't help you. He didn't say that, uh, but they didn't have it. And it was kind of pre when like the National Archives was was doing all of that sort of like maintaining and, and documenting of all things. So we don't know where this document is. Nobody knows where it is. Like archivists throughout the United States and the world have all been trying to work together to find out if anybody has this document. No one does. So um, Megan and one of her colleagues, Lindsay Holst, kind of started a crowdsourcing approach to it of like, okay, let's make this like a treasure hunt for everyone because somebody has a connection to this document somewhere. I mean, many people do. Like a lot of us that live in the United States probably have grandmothers or great-grandmothers or great-great-grandmothers who were somehow related to people that were there. Um So what they're doing is they're having people who might know anything about the Seneca Falls Convention, any little piece of history that slipped through the cracks that could be a clue, anything that is maybe lost in terms of women's history, to share that on social media with the hashtag Find the Sentiments. I just think this is the coolest thing. It's the smartest way to approach uh, this sort of history that's sort of a little bit lost. I mean, we know what they said. We have reproductions of it, but we don't have the original. And along the way, there are so many other beautiful little details that are coming out about other things, like little lapel pins that were made for it and, and all of this great stuff. And I feel like in terms of, um, you know, for women in 2015, I wish it had greater visibility. I feel like I'm like the proselytizer on this because I have not stopped talking about it since they reached out to our podcast about it. Um, and we're doing some other stuff around it here at How Stuff Works. But I just, what a smart way to like actually get people involved, get people excited about history, get people excited about women's history. And they do a lot to connect. Like this isn't just for women. It's this was a document that was not only women were there, not only women signed it. It's really a big part of American history and really world history because heads up for anybody that reads that document, uh, those rights that they claim we need, we don't have them yet. This is 167 years ago and we're still fighting for a lot of these. Uh, so that's pretty fascinating. My other one, I know it, it's going to sound crackpot, but you have to come with me on this one. It's Star Wars. <laughs> Totally. Yeah. Uh, Because ever since Kathleen Kennedy was named uh, president of Lucasfilm, and if you don't know her, you do know her, um, she has produced 
at pretty much every film that shaped you as a child, like E.T., Raiders, Jurassic Park. She's worked with Spielberg forever. She's worked with Zemeckis on a kajillion projects. She is amazing, and she really takes into account her leadership position and how it can be used to mentor others. And one of the things, as people may know, uh, is that Star Wars, this new Star Wars film, The Force Awakens, has a much more diverse cast than any previous one. And a lot of that is putting women into roles that they previously haven't had. There's a great, 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 great article in the L.A. Times from recently uh, about the women of Star Wars. And one of the things that really, like, spoke to me, I mean, almost like in that way that you catch your breath and you're like, holy Crap, I never thought about it that way. Uh, is Gwendolyn Christie talking about meeting with Kathleen Kennedy and Kathleen Kennedy saying, hey, have you ever Googled um, movie heroine to see what comes up? And uh, Gwendolyn Christie was like, no. And she's like, let me do it for you. And it was all like exactly what you kind of think of, like women in skimpy outfits. And, and she was like, you and I are the people that can help change this conversation. And she's trying to like, without, she's not one of those people that gets she's got this beautiful way about her where she can kind of push these, these things around a little bit and get some movement in there and get women in there without it being like, I'm making this a women's issue. She's just trying to make the movies look a little bit more like the real world. Yeah. It's it's very beautiful to me and very cool. And I just appreciate, like, I've never been more excited or proud to be a star Wars fan to know that like we're in this whole new era. And I love all of the movies. But um, I just feel like this is a really cool time. When you consider Variety just put out an article that Star Wars right now, which we're recording this opening weekend, has sold more tickets already than any movie ever of all time in its run. Really? So, like, that's pretty important when you think about, like, the star of the film is a woman and she is a pilot, which is historically the revered position in Star Wars and... Uh, it's important and it's good to know that lots of people are going and they're getting eyeballs on this. And whether they're conscious of it or not, they're seeing women in ways that they have never seen in sci-fi before. Yeah. How? Maybe never. I don't want to be too broad, but. How has the Star Wars fan base at large reacted to all of the focus on women in this movie? Because I'm thinking about the backlash to things like the all-female Ghostbusters. Like, don't right. put, you don't have to, you know, pigeonhole women in here. You're ruining it. Uh, there are definitely some Krabby Patties in the herd. <laughs> but, I mean, there's going to be any time you, like, shift the balance in anything that's going to happen. There were people that were angry at when the first teaser trailer came out and John Boyega was the first thing they saw. And they were like, a black man in Star Wars? That's a stormtrooper. Stormtroopers are clones. Which, by the way, if you think that, you need to brush up. But um, clone troopers are clones. Stormtroopers are recruited. Oh. No, there, because I just rewatched all six episodes. Yeah. um, And I, I had the same thought of like, well... Like, it's great that this guy's a stormtrooper, but here they're cloning this, like, guy from New Zealand or something. Yeah, well, in our world. They don't all stay Maori forever. They yeah. diversified later on when they okay. could. Because later. Because I was like, what? The stormtroopers are white in I'll, episode. I'll geek out briefly, and it's a little bit of a spoiler, not about the new movie, but about the things outside of the movies. But in uh, the the cloning facility got damaged, got oh. destroyed at one point. Okay. Um that's the very short version, but so they couldn't keep yeah. making clones. Well, no, okay, this it all makes sense. So, yeah, I mean, there have been some people, and there has been some backlash. There have also been some gay characters introduced in, like, the literature 
And people have gotten really irate about that. But in the most subtle way, it's so funny. It's almost like if you read all of that criticism first and then you go in and you read it, you're like, this isn't really... It's like the most casual throwaway mentions. It's not a big deal. But so with women, I mean, the the female fans are excited beyond measure because it's like a big myth that chicks haven't been into Star Wars. I mean, yeah, I'm proof. Hello. Where does that even come from? I think just because it's a space thing. I don't know. Sci-fi has historically been the realm of boys and men, mm-hmm. even though not really. I mean, I was always reading that stuff as a kid. And now it's just exciting to see it look a little bit more like my world. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, I'm not sure why that was a myth. But it is pretty exciting. We're still working on the toy thing. You know, they still mm-hmm. haven't evened out in that arena. But uh, I think most fans are pretty excited. Certainly female fans are really excited. And most of my, I mean, I can't think of any of my friends that are male that are troubled by <laughs> <laughs> but that, they probably wouldn't be my friends if they were. So I know a few people who I who have never really delved into Star Wars who have watched the whole thing just because of this one. Yeah. Um, and I think part of it is that diversity piece of like just seeing themselves in it. Because um, there there was never anything about Star Wars that didn't say that it wasn't for everyone. But I think seeing those faces on posters yeah. and different things has been like, oh, okay, this this is kind of for me, too. I did have to yeah. laugh, sort <laughs> of related, around... Uh, so, you know, Lupita Nyong'o is in it. She plays a CG character. And someone said something to J.J. Abrams about during their big press junket a couple of weeks ago about, it's such a pity, she's so beautiful. And he said, would it be okay if she were an ugly woman? He was like, what are you... like?" And it was just one of those moments where I was like, thank you for pointing out that, like, pretty women should, of course, be on camera and ugly women should not. Like, no, that's not. It stunts creativity to think that way. And, uh, you know, I'm very excited. Everybody in that camp is saying the right things. JJ did make a weird thing about Star Wars used to be for boys. And he later came back and was like, that was stupid wording. What I meant is that that's always been the perception. Right. But overall, the message coming out of Lucasfilm has been so cool lately about, like, no, we know you're out there, ladies. We want to bring you into the fold if you're not already here. And if you are here, we want to acknowledge that you've been here. I love it. I'm very excited. I mean, I grew up watching Star Wars on Laserdisc. I have it on Laserdisc. With my dad. Yeah, well, so does he. My dad has a huge Laserdisc collection. And the thing is, it's the originals. It's not like with all the 90s edits added to it. And so I've wanted to go back and rewatch them, but uh, I think my father would have to probably clean out his room over the garage where the big screen TV and laser player is oh. before I could actually do that. I'm not sure where our laser player is right now. Holly. Well, because we don't use it very often. Yeah, no. You know? <laughs> I know that's shocking. And we moved at one point, so it's somewhere. But the other, uh, and then I'll be done with Star Wars, I promise. The other thing that I've really enjoyed, and everybody's talked about how hilarious and fun Carrie Fisher has been on this press junket. But I really feel like she is doing this wonderful thing. Because she's acknowledging, like, hey, people have been dogging me because I don't look like I looked when I was 20. And, like, guess what? You get older and stuff happens. And, like... <laughs> This is life. And she's really kind of like not letting people forget that this is a jacked up situation where people just judge women on their appearance and they don't allow them to age. And I just love her because she just, you know, she always says she thinks in her mouth like it really does just (laughs) fall right out and you don't always know where it's going. (laughs) But it's kind of a, a wonderful conversation starter, I think, to have someone that 
blunt and honest about it, just blurt it out at every possible point where a microphone is in her face. Yeah. Like, someone's at least opening this particular Pandora's box. Well, you mentioned something about it being revolutionary to include a diverse cast of characters, both in terms of gender, race, ethnicity, uh, whatever, in Star Wars. And I think that that holds true for another uh, special show that came out this year, which is Jessica Jones. How revolutionary it was, the fact that so many women were on screen. I was watching and there was one particular scene where people are running through a hospital and there's cops and there's doctors and nurses and all sorts of people, like average patients and whatever. And I I looked at my boyfriend and I was like, all those people are women. (laughs) Look at all of those people. Yeah. They're women people. Yeah. Like that, that police officer, that's a woman, that doctor over there. That's a woman too. Yeah. And this, this wonderful, fabulous, completely flawed, angry, heavy drinking heroine. Also a lady person. Yeah. Uh, there was a, a male journalist. Oh, and I'm forgetting who it was. I'm so sorry. Who tweeted something really beautiful where he said something to the effect of, I'm watching Jessica Jones and the guys are all relegated to being sex objects or wait, is this how women feel all the time? And I'm like, mm-hmm, you are awesome. Uh, yeah, it's exciting to see a, a show that really puts its money behind the idea that, you know, a female-driven sort of superhero property can do just fine. So but how funny. people that say a Black Widow movie wouldn't make buck, I think you're fools. Well, how funny, though, that we have to even talk about this in terms of revolutionary. Right. But we're literally, like, using the word, you're like, oh, my God, like a black stormtrooper. And like a woman in the lead role, like revolutionary. Oh, I hate that it's 2015. Well, about to be 2016 now. And that we're still talking about just making a cast of characters in a movie look like real life. Yeah. Uh, That that's revolutionary. So, Caroline, what was your high point? Um, probably back in June with same sex marriage, getting through the Supreme Court. I mean, that was one of those days where. It's like, everything's stopping. I'm stopping everything. I'm going to do nothing but obsessively look at social media and post, like, rainbow flag pictures and uh, <laughs> pictures of people waving rainbow flags and hugging. And and uh, it was just so special that that whole day felt so special. And driving around in my car later that night and being at a red light, and I remember just going... <sighs> People can get married. Everyone can get married. <laughs> like, it's just like, I, we, we finally, it doesn't feel real. Like, if f- people can finally marry the person that they love. And, and there's no, like, ifs, ands, or buts. Obviously, there's still workplace discrimination issues that need to be worked out. And, and there's some, still some very serious issues of discrimination that need to be worked out and representation. But the fact that, like, oh, People can just get married. It, that, too, feels uh, such a small thing of like, oh, yeah, marriage, whatever. I can get married or I won't get married or whatever. That is revolutionary, too. And it was a beautiful thing to witness. Did you spend all day like I did watching the courtroom video feeds of like just hundreds of couples getting married one after another and bawling at your desk? I didn't. I wasn't did looking at any that. feeds. I was just refreshing lots of articles, looking at pictures and just getting weepy, honestly, as people kissed after they signed all of the paperwork and everything. Yeah, just got a little weepy. I get choked up just thinking about it. I know. Because I can't. 
it's so hard, especially because I'm hetero. And so I have never had to like deal with the concept that like I couldn't go to like a regular mundane like chain restaurant and hold the person I love's hand. But when you think about it in those terms, like that, like, you know, don't act like you're actually with the person you're with. And pu- that's horrifying to think about to me. And it would just be like the most painful life to live. So I'm glad that there are steps happening. We're still not all the way there, but we're that was a huge one. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think it was amazing. As someone who grew up as a little gay boy, or thought I was a little gay boy, um, it, I was in bed. It, it was, I was working from home that day, so I just had my computer in front of me, and I checked the Huffington Post of all things. Um, and it, it was just like, I can't remember the headline, but I just remember on the inside just being like, no way, <laughs> no, no. I, I think I also, like, closed the browser and then I opened it back up just to, like, make sure that it actually happened. Um, and it was so cute because my mom, like, texted me, at, like, a couple of hours after that, and she was like, did you hear about the news? And I was like, you mean the the same-sex marriage passed and she was like yes isn't that amazing and as someone who like struggled with my parents over like them understanding and accepting and all that for years like it was just that amazing kind of like full circle moment of like look at this good that can happen right like I just feel so much happier about the future and, and I still think about it sometimes and I'm like Everyone can get married. I mean, that is an amazing thing. There's so much more work to be done, but that's an amazing thing. Caroline, that was my high point, too. Uh, We did not plan this. We didn't. Um, It's like how we're always dressed alike. I know. We're both just in footy pajamas right now. It's really adorable. (laughs) Covered in tampons. Yeah, Yeah, weird. It's weird that we both picked the tampon pajamas today. Actually, not weird. (laughs) Uh, But I did pull an excerpt from Justice Kennedy's opinion because it was so beautifully written. And uh, should I read it? You want to hear a little? Yes, please. Okay, so he wrote, No union is more profound than marriage, for it embodies the highest ideals of love, Fidelity, devotion, sacrifice, and family. In forming a marital union, two people become something greater than they once were. Their hope is not to be condemned to live in loneliness, excluded from one of civilization's oldest institutions. They ask for equal dignity in the eyes of the law, and the Constitution grants them that right. And I just got chills reading it. Mm-hmm. It's so exciting. It's still so exciting. And um also just great to remember that that happened because recent months have been filled with all sorts of just political nastiness. Mm-hmm. So it's nice to have something to look back on <laughs> and say, hey, okay, we did something good, America, in 2015. Um, and I also want to give a shout out to the Women's World Cup. And the U.S. team. Yeah. Because that was a great moment for women, women in sports. Um, that finals game was the highest rated soccer event ever, ever, men's, women's. Um, so it was just, it was such a cool moment. And Abby Wambach just retired and she's a total badass. Mm-hmm. And of course, it also raised issues of turf disparities and gender discrimination and uh, wage gaps. But it started conversations, important conversations, and gave a whole generation of girls role models and, you know, like adult podcaster ladies, too. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I take offense at being called an adult. (laughs) (laughs) Not comfortable with that language. 
Um, well, okay, speaking of things we're not comfortable with, thank you for the, for the segue, Holly. See how I did that? Yeah, you didn't realize you were doing that. Oh, maybe I did. Do we, <laughs> did you guys have any, like, low points of the year that maybe stuck out to you that you want to harp on or maybe quickly brush over because they suck so bad? There's kind of a creeping lowness. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? There's uh, Because we are in, as Kristen just mentioned, like a gross political time. There's a lot of discussion of lady parts and legislation around them. Mm-hmm. But what troubles me most is that we are in this weird, divisive time as a country where instead of like hearing someone who disagrees with you, and we've all been guilty. I'm not, you know, throwing under, anyone under the bus or judging. It's like the reaction is always a little bit defensive. And as a consequence... Like, I'm a little concerned, like, when I see someone bring up an idea of, like, hey, you know, this image is interesting, but I, uh, it vibes a little sexist to me, and I really, and when I see women jump in and go, no, it's not, it's a joke, you're being ridiculous, I'm like, you, no, you guys, just wait, just hang on, chill for a minute, hear what they're saying, like, you may or may not agree, but they have a point of view that is, you know, informed by their life, and if they're seeing that, it's worth at least considering in a thoughtful way rather than just shouting everything down, which is happening across every possible topic right now. Mm-hmm. But it does trouble me when someone brings up like, hey, I think this might be sexist and women really jump right in at, to defend it. Now, granted, there's always situations where people are a little kooky and that's fine, too. But I just the the attack mode all the time is very troubling to me. And I think yeah. that's sort of that perpetuating creep that I feel this year has been really fraught with. Yeah. I mean, I think we're at a point where it seems politically like you you have to almost be one thing or another and be angry about it and be almost yelling at somebody who has a differing opinion. It seems like there is that lack of listening, lack of understanding. And it also seems like uh, as many great things happened this year, they also come with something negative. So... I mean, you have all of these terrible debates over um, the Confederate flag and oh, it's, it's heritage, not hate. We should still be able to fly it and, and all of these disgusting arguments around it. And you have the violence in Charleston where innocent people were killed. Um, but then you have someone like Bree Newsom who climbs the flagpole at the Capitol building in Columbia, South Carolina. And it was such a beautiful, I mean, talk about another moment where I got like teary eyed. It was like, Oh my God, look at this woman. Is she a superhero? She's just, cause I went to school my freshman year in Columbia, South Carolina. And I remember going by the state house and being like, are you kidding me? Like it was 2002. You know, people are still, it's 2002. People are still flying the Confederate flag. Are you kidding me? And so to see it finally come down, but come down because a woman was just like, screw all y'all, I'm getting up there and I'm taking it down, was such a beautiful moment. But all of that was paired with such awfulness and hurt and pain at the same time. Well, what I loved, especially about her, that kind of illustrates the point I was making earlier, is that when she came down, she was very cooperative. Mm -hmm. She was like, I understand. I broke the law. That's fine. Arrest me. I'm good. It's like she was hearing their point of view, but she was like, I just want to show you mine mm-hmm. in a very big way. She, I loved it. Yeah. She's like the real Jessica Jones. Yeah. <laughs> we have less alcohol problems, wow. maybe some, some not so much with the addiction and violence issues in her life. But the good with the bad. You yeah. Know? <laughs> exactly. You can't make an omelet without breaking eggs. <laughs> That's what I'm saying.
I think my um, slow creep, this may be completely missing the mark with this question, but um, I've been talking a lot, of, of course, about politics with friends. And a lot of my friends are like, Hillary is definitely going to win the election in 2016. And for me, I think the thing that I worry most about that is I've been kind of thinking about how people are going to talk about feminism and gender equality, you know, if she does win, right? Because we've seen with Barack Obama and the whole idea of a post-racial society and racism doesn't exist. And then it's like, well, look at 2015. Like, boo, racism is alive and well, like, guest starring on every feature this year. But I just think about, you know, what will that mean? Because people will say, you know, she is in the highest position of the free world. I hate that term. Um, and, and that, that means that women don't really have it that hard, right? And that gender is irrelevant now. And, and so I wonder what that conversation will look like. Well, I mean, so if we're looking at, okay, we have a, a black president finally. Um, and, if people were claiming that we were in a post-racial society because of that, they're certainly not claiming that anymore. But, I mean, at the moment, you also have Black Lives Matter going on and protest after protest going on across this country. So clearly we have issues that we still have to address there in terms of race. And I think it would be no different if, if Hillary were to become president. Great. We finally have a woman in the White House. Like, this is amazing. But at the same time, we're still having the Planned Parenthood violence. We're still having clinics getting bombed, doctors being killed, women being harassed. Um, whether they're seeking abortions or not, just for making choices about their bodies. Um, and so, I mean, I, I would argue that that's sort of the parallel about, like, Black president doesn't mean post-racial society. We are still, we still have open wounds in this country. We still have policies that need to shift. We still have things we need to fix. Same thing if we had a woman president. Obviously, there's still, you know, this ongoing war on women and their choices about their bodies, about their families, and about their lives. And I think if anything, the having a black president has only made racism in America even more visible and if we have a female president, it will only make sexism, misogyny, and the outright hatred of women even more visible. I think it only will intensify, and partially because of social media, because everybody can yell and yeah. um, control your comments. <laughs> um, so, I mean, I, I kind of anticipate things getting worse rather than better, in a way, in terms of that whole environment when she is elected. Or if she's elected, excuse me. <laughs> yeah. We'll check back with you and see if you are the master predictor. Hey. So you I mean, I hope it's not. It. I hope that it, uh, you know, somehow magically dawns on people that, oh, look, this is, this is great. Uh, equality is a wonderful thing. Let's hold hands. But I doubt it. You know, you got to go through that horrible sort of trial by fire portion and then some time down the road that will have blazed that path so there it will calm down but i think yes it's going to be horrifying for a while well it's also just been interesting even within more liberal circles this year to kind of have all these conversations around political correctness going on and questions with that of like at what point is all of this you know awareness 
and calling out of things like just too much and are we impinging on free speech and enough with trigger warnings already. So it's kind of, uh, it's definitely caught my attention how these conversations are happening across the board and I think across, you know, the whole political spectrum. Um, and I don't have a lot of patience for PC um, arguments, but yeah. I think we're all kind of grappling with a lot of things. And a lot of it is for a good reason that we, I mean, I think people are forced to pay attention to intersectionality and be held accountable for them um, in ways that they haven't been been before, largely thanks to social media. And that's, I think, where you get the kicking and screaming is people who are finally confronted with like, hey, like you've got to include other people. We, we don't live in a world where it's just white Men, we live in a world that is so colorful and so multifaceted, and it shouldn't be anything but that. It should only be colorful and multifaceted, and other people's voices are just as important, and other people deserve to be heard. And so I think there is an element of the population that nothing is being taken away from them, but they feel that just because other people are finally getting a platform and a voice and using their megaphones, they're like... (gasps) You're, you're taking away my comfort zone level. And, you know, they, and that feels like something's physically being taken away from them just because other people are talking. And it's not just straight white dudes who are having those issues either, too. I mean, I think it's you get down across the board to talk about conversations in feminism. White feminism is a big issue this year. Yes. <laughs> Well, and as Raquel mentioned earlier, in the LGBTQ community, there's a lot of, you know, different factions developing, and they do not always agree, and there's a lot of stuff going on there that is the same thing. Just kind of, I don't know. I don't have the magic, everybody be cool wand, but I Uh. sure wish I did. (laughs) Everybody be cool. Let's all hear it out. (laughs) Like, one person's speech doesn't diminish your opportunity to speak. And I think some people, like, sometimes the most dangerous people are the people who have been oppressed, right? Because they feel like they're absolved from this idea that they can oppress other people. Um, and, and I, I guess particularly when we're talking about privilege and that like sliding scale, like as a black woman, like it's so hard, you know, to talk about white feminism sometimes in feminist spaces to talk about black hypermasculinity and, and how, you know, black women often don't have, have a space even within the black community. Like it's, it's really difficult to bridge that gap of like, yes, you can oppress people and be oppressed at the same time. <laughs> And I do it, too. You know, like I have my privileges. There's no totem pole at all. Well, and I think you've sort of highlighted part of the problem is that there is a lot of subtlety and range. So part of the the vehemence issue that's going on that we're talking about, I think, is that it's it's hard to peel those onions. Like you can't always see all the angles and people often make verbal missteps just out of, you know, Kind ignorance. They're not meaning to say the wrong things, but it's like we've reached this point where everyone is so tired of trying to figure it out that they'll just yell instead. Mm-hmm. Like it's easier to just pick one talking point and go whole hog with that. Like they're just gunning it. I think that's part of like the, the seed of this ongoing problem we have of 
lack of just, communication and kind of just yelling your point of view rather than wanting to hear anyone else's. Yeah. Just crying while we're unpeeling that onion. <laughs> <laughs> just a lot of people crying. If everyone could just get in a podcast studio, sit around a friendly table, yeah. have a friendly conversation. With Holly's wand. My wand. Be cool. Just be cool. It's be cool. a be cool wand. That's, that's really... stress that it's a be cool wand. I'm not trying to wield power no. over anyone. No, <laughs> no. That's what I love about it. Just be cool. You miss and dress. Right. I got called that yesterday. No way. <laughs> it had been a while. <laughs> so refreshing. What prompted it? Or do you want to go into it? I don't even remember. I always have people in my mentions on Twitter. Like, I just, I give up. <laughs> For this week. <laughs> she gets up for right the second. Right. A couple seconds from now. <laughs> well, Holly and Raquel, thank you so much for coming to talk to us today. You know you're always welcome in the Stuff I Never Told You studio. It's a delight. I'm just going to start stomping in in the middle of your recording. I love like, it. Hey, what's up? I got and my another thing cool. about Star Wars. Yeah, totally. <laughs> or Queen Victoria. Oh, Vicky, my girl. I'll just shimmy in the background. <laughs> I like that, you know. Cheering us on. Yes. I've been known to inspire people with my shimmy. So. <laughs> of course. We'll just have like a glitter cannon we come in with periodically. I love this. Be cool wands and, and inspirational shimmying. Thank you. So, Raquel, where can uh, people find you on the Internet? You can find me on Twitter at Raquel Willis underscore. You can find me on IG, the gram, Instagram at Raquel underscore Willis. You can find me pretty much anywhere. And also RaquelWillis.com. I actually launched that like about a month ago. I'm really proud of it. So, yeah. And just Holly? look for the shimmying, I think, is really the key. <laughs> I, should, I should do a gif of me just shimmying. Yes! <laughs> oh, my God, and that can illustrate this this episode. Perfect. I love it. I'm thinking ahead. Uh, so, yeah, uh, mistinhistory.com and at mistinhistory on Twitter. And my personal Twitter is at girl because I'm crabby. <laughs> Uh, and then all of the usual, uh, if you go to mistinhistory.com, you'll find all of the stuff you missed in history class connections. So that's probably the easiest. And listeners, as always, if you want to send us your high and low moments of 2015, at com is our email address. You can find us at Podcast. Or message us on Facebook. And we don't have any messages for you this week because you know what? We're closing out the year. We're closing out the mailbag. And we just want to hear what your thoughts were on the past 12 months. And we hope that everyone has had a happy and safe holidays. And as always, you can find all of our videos, blogs, podcasts, you name it, over at StuffMomNeverToldYou.com. See y'all in 2016. on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com.